Welcome back to the Beyond the Cubicle podcast. On today's episode, we kick off our series on career journeys. And our goal there is to just be able to see the various types of paths that people go through to reach certain levels of success in where they want to be in their careers. And, you know, just to learn of other people's experiences. There's so much that we don't see about success and journeys and just the various ways that one could find the success that they're looking for in their careers. And that's our goal with this content series. Our first guest is a great friend of my wife's. They were best friends in high school. And I've had the privilege of kind of being on the periphery and kind of watching her career uh, develop over the years. Her name is Stephanie M. Ponza, and she's the VP and co-leader of a nonprofit out of Maryland called Dream Big. And Dream Big focuses on um, helping young people realize the visions for their life and giving them the confidence uh, to be able to kind of chase their goals. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. So today, E, we got a special guest in the building. All righty, all righty. Yeah. She's a she's a uh, she's a best friend of my wife, yeah. and uh, someone that I greatly admire. Um, she's always doing a lot in the community, doing a lot with nonprofit. She's actually um, a uh, I mean, what's your title? Vice president, co co leader, <laughs> vice president of Dream Big. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is uh, her name is Stephanie Mponza. She currently resides in. Are you still in Columbia? No, right outside of Columbia, Hanover. Hanover, Maryland. Yes. She's on the East Coast. Yes. East Coast. But yeah, man, I I thought it'd be good to bring Stephanie in just because, um, funny enough, I've kind of been on the periphery as her career has kind of taken off because (laughs) been married to her friend for about that long (laughs) (laughs) since we all got out of college, right? and so I thought it'd be good to bring her on to share some of her experiences in, in her career journey. Um, being that she's a black woman as well, I thought it'd be great to kind of, you know, educate us as men just kind of on that experience. And uh, so we can learn something. And then when just to kind of catch up and, and see how she's faring during this quarantine time, too. Yeah, when you said that uh, she was a vice president, I yeah. said, anybody that can put that on a card. Right. We need to, yeah, yeah, we need to hear something. We got some stories coming. So. We got some stories. We got some stories. Welcome, welcome, Stephanie. We are so glad you're with us today. Thank you. Thank right. you for having me. So, I mean, normally with our guests, we like to kick it off, but just kind of getting to, getting to know you a little bit, um, just your background, kind of, you know, tell us where you grew up, your, your upbringing, things like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, once again, thanks for having me. I've had the pleasure of, I feel like knowing Brian for almost ever. Um, (laughs) And I was excited to join because actually speaking with Danielle like a couple weeks ago, because we've been hiring and I've just been talking about like, man, the young black girls that have been hiring, like, I feel like I'm extra hard on them, but also trying to figure out like, I wish there was some place where young professionals can learn about being professional um, because there's not that flat platform. So appreciate you having me. Um, but yeah, a little bit about me. So Ghanaian American. So my parents are originally from Ghana, but I was born and raised in Columbia, Maryland, which is a planned community right outside of DC um, in a suburb of Baltimore City. 
Um, and yeah, I have five siblings um, and a twin sister. Um, and yeah, we all grew up in Colombia, spent summers in Ghana, but very much grew up with a very bicultural lens. So it's like, you know, you live in America, but your home is Ghana, right? Oh. Um, so very, very different. Um, but no, I mean, when I think about like my career, like a lot of my upbringing, I think had to do with it. So my parents actually separated when we were very young and my mom went from working in corporate America to you know, coming from means, coming to another country to realizing like, I can't write, raise five kids and work in the corporate America. And so started planning houses um, when we were very young and it very much became the family business, even though we didn't like it. Um, but in hindsight, I realized how much that shaped kind of me and my career. And so my mom, for some reason, I don't know why, I was always the one to go with her to do consultations and negotiations. And so I learned early on about like, being a businesswoman and how you carry yourself. Um, and my mom used to always take me with her to clean. And for her, she always just taught us like humility and like just taking pride in your work. So if you are gonna clean the toilet, you better be the best darn toilet cleaner ever, right? If you are gonna shine a faucet, like you should see your reflection in the faucet. If you're gonna vacuum, make sure the lines are really, really clear. And so early on, just really learn like how you take pride in your work um, and just that attention to detail and being confident. Like here was a woman who came from a lot of means, but you know, humbled herself and did what she had to do to raise her children. So learned a lot from her in terms of like how you carry yourself as a businesswoman um, and how you, you know, how you always present yourself um, in the world of work, no matter what you're doing. Um, so yeah, a lot of that brought me into um, kind of my career um, growing up in Colombia was great. You know, it was a planned community, um, but a lot of that helped me in terms of like just with college. So I ran track in high school where I met Danielle um, mm -hmm. Montgomery, and um, you know I ran track because I wanted to stay in shape for soccer. Like I was like, I'm going to be a professional soccer player. Right, like right. that was going to be my career. <laughs> like that was. Yeah. That was like the goal, um, and that did not happen. Uh, so my senior year, my senior year, I wasn't gonna run track, but my mom bribed me. She's like, okay, if you run track this year, I'll get you a new pair of shoes. And I was like, okay, sure. Um, <laughs> and so I ended up running track my last year, and um, my coach at the time of blessed memory um, got me a track scholarship. Like I didn't know he was having scouts to come and see me run. Um, and yeah, he was like, yep, got your scholarship. And I was like, well, I don't want to run track. Like I'm going to go to school in Florida. And at the time, like it was going to be myself, my twin sister and my older sister in college at the same time. And which would have been very expensive for my mom. Right. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't want to go. But my mom being who she was, was like, you know what? I'm gonna let you make this choice, which I don't know why she would let a 17 year old do that, um, <laughs> but she did. But I remember talking to my uncle and he was saying, you know, God gives us gifts right. and yeah. how we use our gifts, you know, is how we honor him in that. And yeah. for me, it just clicked right there. It's like, you know what, let me not be selfish. Um, so I ended up going to High Point University on a full um, track ride, which was great. Um, it was difficult, um, you know, being a student athlete is not easy, um, but in hindsight, I'm so glad I made that decision. Like that's where, you know, I got saved, joined a great church. Um, and that's even how I got into my career, which we can, I can go into that now. Or we can talk about it. Well, talk, talk a little bit, cause you just, you just kind of mentioned it and, and just as a, 
a refresher since it's been a while since we kind of been on um just kind of you know bring our audience back up to speed you know here we have a a, a philosophy that we use to kind of uh, shape a lot of our conversations and it's a four-point philosophy called pies uh mm-hmm. p is for exp- uh look at this been it's been a minute eric look <laughs> p is for performance i is for image uh e is for exposure which is basically the relationships you need to kind of succeed and uh, s is for spirituality so uh talk a little bit about how your spirituality and you said you got saved in college so you, you found that source then but talk mm-hmm. a little bit about how that has kind of carried you through your career yeah i mean to me that is the biggest source of i think really why i am doing what i am doing like for me like i definitely feel like this is a work that i am called to do and i think once you understand like your calling and that you know God has prepared a destiny for you. Even when you do go through obstacles and challenges, you always go back to that place where you heard God and you know, like you remind God of his word and like, this is what you call me to do. So you're going to give me, you know, the ability, you're going to open doors for me. And so I think for me, like in a very fortunate and blessed to like, like I know the day I was called to do this work. And I remember like, you know, my freshman, sophomore year, like just struggling, trying to figure out what was to be my, you know, major. Like I could not figure it out, kept bouncing back and forth. And it was actually through volunteering um, with my sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, um, <laughs> that I actually really came to, you know, get into working in human relations. And I remember we were volunteering during the day with high school seniors, young girls. And then in the evenings, we would volunteer teaching um, like elementary school um, at a public housing, how to read. And as I would, you know, in the mornings, I noticed that a lot of the young girls very much didn't know who they were. They didn't really like have an idea about like what would life be like after um, high school. And then when I would go in the evenings, I noticed the same thing with the young girls. We could see a trajectory of like what was going to happen. And many of these young girls we were working with who were seniors, maybe the first person they found to graduate high school, first person to go off to college. And for me, that was also a very foreign concept where, you know, as, you know, immigrants, like you're also taught like education, like that's what you do. Um, right. Also right. growing up in a very planned community where it was very diverse in social economic status. Like it was planned to, you know, provide economic opportunity for everyone. So coming to an area where you finally realize that, okay, America is not the place of opportunity. And it is very much tied to your zip code and particularly for people of color. And it was a very foreign concept to me to like realize like, wow, like access and opportunity is not equal in this country. Um, And it just hit me like, I'm very much, there's no difference between myself and these young people. It's just where I grew up, right? what if my mom would have, you know, what if they would have moved to, you know, another part of the town where we didn't have the same access. Um, And then also realizing too, like immigrant, single mother, black, female, like for so many reasons, like should not have been where I was. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks of like, you know what, like if I'm going to do anything in life, like it is going to be like providing opportunity and access for young people Mm -hmm. um, because, there's no reason I should have it. And I really felt like this is what God was calling me to do. So I immediately changed my major to human relations, um, concentration in business and nonprofit organizations um, my, my junior year. That's, yeah, that's pretty cool. So human relations, uh, yes. I, I know Eric here has a ton of 
Yeah, when I say a ton, I mean he he likes to say <laughs> <laughs> what's what's you're saying about your birthdays. <laughs> <laughs> I was around when Eisenhower was was president, so. <laughs> You know, I, I hear people talk about, you know, Kennedy, I studied about him in history class. Shut up. I was on the bus when he got shot. See, there you go. No. <laughs> but, but I feel like, I mean, just even in the names, I feel like there is a connection between uh, human relations and human resources. And Eric has mm -hmm. a ton of experience, 30 plus years of kind of running human resource departments and training teams and such. So I'll let him kind of speak to mm -hmm. that a little bit. Can I what I hear you saying? I love I, I love the the realization that and some of us don't have it that were born in this country that if you have certain advantages and certain blessings it's an advantage that you have because you were in proximity of mm -hmm. folks that had that mm -hmm. um even as we do the virus you know the places that we live are not terribly oppressive and yeah we're hunkered down but I mean, I walk around the lake every morning in the neighborhood yeah. and we just go, oh, good morning. And we don't get close, mm -hmm. but I understand also, you know, I got a nephew in New York City and uh, we looked at him on Zoom the other week. He looked like Childish Gambino. Everything here is thrown <laughs> all the way out. A good looking dude, he said, I said, man, when you been outside? He's like, I have never been outside. So, <laughs> understanding that many of us are blessed mm -hmm. and we should take that as a mandate to go do something for other other people. And that's what I hear. You said something about purpose. Do me a favor, go back just a little bit. How do you see your calling or your purpose driving what you do today? I mean, I think for me, like a lot of it has to do with, I think about what we do now. So what we do, what the, Previous to where I am now, I worked as an executive director for five years at a nonprofit, and our role was to work with high school seniors at a critical point in their life to expose them to the world of work through mentorship, post-high school planning, um, and really just building capital, right? Social capital, um, financial capital, and it was, it was not easy. Um, and I think for me, had I not known that I was called to the work, it would have been really difficult. And mainly because, you know, before even getting the job, like I had, I was at a, I was working as a social worker in Southeast DC and it was great. I liked it, but I just, I didn't feel like I was making that impact that I wanted to. And, you know, through volunteering again, connected with, um, Urban Alliance, where I um, was working as a program director. And I actually had to take a, a, it was a pay cut. It was a step back. And in hindsight, like it wouldn't have made sense for me to do it. But I also felt like I was saying like, no, like I know this doesn't seemingly look like, you know, what you work for, <laughs> but this is what I'm calling you to do. And it was really difficult because yeah, taking that pay cut was not easy. Um, and being at the age that I was, I was like, it was almost like I was starting all over, but it was good in that it propelled me way further than I would have been able to get and that I served as more of a case manager for two years and then program director for two years and after that I kind of felt too I was like oh, I don't know but you know I'm good at this I'm comfortable um, and an opportunity for a executive director position came up and I was like ah, I don't know if I want to do that like I'm just trying to help people you know I'm, I'm good yeah. I'm, I'm comfortable and I was like I don't want to raise money I was like this is a million dollar organization um, and, and it hit me like, you know what, Stephanie, fear, like, that's what it was like, all your issue is fear and comfort. Like, 
yes, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult, but you're only, you're not, you don't want to do it because you're scared, but then having to go back to a place of like, no, like this is where God called you. And I'm right. so glad I did it. And I'm so glad to another point. I always say it's so important, like the people that you have in your life, mm-hmm. you know, iron sharpens iron. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it would have been real easy for me to just be comfortable because like, it was fine. Like it wasn't like being a program director was bad, but I knew God was calling me something higher, but mm-hmm. I was you know, fearful. Um, and so I think understanding who you are and like, it has less to do with like titles and more to do with impact. And I always mm. tell you, like, mm. don't chase a title, chase impact. Like what impact do you want to have on the world? Right. Not necessarily a title because your gifts and your talents will open way more doors for you than just being, you know, the vice president, executive director, like yeah. that's fine. But like, what impact are you making? You know? So. And, and I feel like, man, you, you said so much there in like a, a five second bite, man. Uh, <laughs> just talking about, you know, even the, your circle, right? Like having, having that, having that circle. Cause you said iron sharpens iron. And then um, not chasing the titles. I feel like that that's something that we constantly talk about here because, you know, oftentimes, man, we and I say we, we as as minorities and black people, especially, you know, mm-hmm. when we're coming out of college, we're looking for the title because that's kind of what we've been taught brings us a level of respect and money. Yeah. Right. And we kind of skip a lot of the skill building. and i i I learned early on i i was so fortunate so fortunate to have had a um a black woman as a manager my first job out of college Mm -hmm. and she saw something within myself how how hungry i was Mm -hmm. and that she said look you won't get the promotions just because it's it's really that's a that's more of a corporate political function she was like, but if you do as much as you can, learn as much as you can, she was like, trust me, the money will come. Yes. She told me that probably like after four months of working for her. And it's yeah. like, I've kind of carried that with me for my whole career. And, you know, I joke around on this, on this show a lot where I talk about, you know, my, my little career journey. I've technically been at the same company for going on 14 years, 15 years almost. But the joke is, I've been trying to leave for 13. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. I've been trying to leave for 13, but every time I try to leave, uh, another opportunity within the organization opens up. And that's Mm -hmm. a testament to the skills and the relationships that I've built there. Um, Eric, you had something? Yeah. You you, you guys are spot on with why God allows you to go through things. There's a learning, there's a training. You know, you go to the gym and work out, and you're a track star. So, what you had to do getting up in the morning uh, what was your what was your event by the way so, yeah. um the two in the open 400. okay okay see that's heart attack for for, for i can still feel it like horse it's <laughs> <laughs> like again uh yeah another lap again <laughs> but i want you to think about what you had to do to train to get there it was painful it didn't feel good uh sitting down and and having a you know a big sandwich and some food would be a more pleasurable experience than what you did. But as you saw your times get better and better and better, and you saw yourself becoming more competitive, the end result was you look back on the training and went, yeah, it was, it was worth it. I'm, I'm better. I I believe God, you know, in the book, it it, it gives you so many examples, but he carries you through that. And when you were younger and first starting, Mm -hmm. we did miseducate you. Now there's a book out, it's been out since the thirties or whatever, 
The Miseducation of the Negro by Carter G. Woodson. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the things that says, we, even in our educational system, have been educated to do, to fit into the man system. Never educated for emotional development and achievement. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why business majors can come out of school with business and can't start businesses. They're not equipped to start a business and be entrepreneurs, but they got a business degree. Right. They got an MBA. Right. Still couldn't start a business. Yeah. So you said something about calling, which I just thoroughly, thoroughly love. But what was your what was your major in, in, in college, by the way? Yeah, so human relations with a concentration in um, nonprofit organizations and business. Yep. And then I did um, a master's in public administration and nonprofit organizations. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. But I like what you both are saying and particularly around like, and this is one thing I try and tell young people is like a lot of time people will stay at a job for two to three years and they're out. Mm -hmm. And it's so important that you like build your skills. You have to understand the seasons and cadence of work, right? The first year you get like a job, you're just learning, right? You're just trying to figure it out. The second year, like, oh, okay. Like I remember what happened last year. Like I can apply that third year oh now i can start adding like you know a little here and there i can experiment on things fourth year we have more of a rhythm fifth year like okay i think i know i can do i can start mentoring and maybe i start looking outside or maybe i look for roles within the organization but we don't young people don't stay at a job long enough to realize that and like having to understand like you know it's just like steps you like one step at a time like you don't just get straight to the top right, right and so right. i think a lot of times yeah. like forget like you need to build the skills. And I see it a lot when like I'm hiring, like maybe a young person is just out of college and they want to be a program director. And I'm just like, you, what are you have your skills? No, yeah, like you have no skills. <laughs> like, like, what are you offering? Or I want to make, you know, $80,000. And I'm like, did you look at our budget? Like, like yeah. did you aim yeah. and I look, And I am all for like, yeah, you want to make your money. You want to have like those goals. I am all for that. But particularly in the human service field too, you also have to realize like we are working on the path of young people, very right. vulnerable young people. Right. And yeah. it's disrespectful <laughs> to come and say like, I want to run thing when you don't know, you, you don't know, know. And so it's always like give a job at least like for, you know, at least four years to, to right. really yeah. learn like the skill set. Right. Um, because you just you don't know what you don't know. That is awesome. And and you're and you're absolutely right too in terms of just like the the progression of building your skills, right? So like even with my job, right? <clears throat> I started there two thousand what, six, seven. But I've held six positions right. mm-hmm. in those years. I haven't just been in the same position and not moved and that's awesome, bro. Six positions awesome. in what, thirteen, fourteen years, right? Mm-hmm. So my my lesson to people and when I say that is I don't really tell people to just yeah stick it out with where you are As a matter of fact Eric will tell you we never say that on the show we're always <laughs> evaluating what's your next step is it time to go is it time yes. to look for something else within the organization or whatever but my point is every time that I've, I've started a new position within the organization just like you just said it's taken about two years two mm-hmm. and a half to really get to the point where I've grasped everything and I've kind of attained those new skills. That mm-hmm. first year, man, I'm, I'm, it's just yeah. like coming right out of college again. Yes. I'm trying to learn this business, even though I know accounting, right? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to learn the business. I'm trying to figure out the best way to account for what the rules might be different here. I got to go do research yeah. here. I'm a newbie all over again. Yes, exactly. About two years in, then I'm like, okay, I have a solid foundation. 
Mm -hmm. I'm probably good enough to kind of package these skills up and do something else with, mm -hmm. then mm -hmm. I'll start. But I'm not coming right. in right off the bat <clears throat> just because I have X years of experience and say, hey, I'm trying to run this thing. Right, exactly. And I like what you're saying too, because I think also one thing I had to learn, like I went, even though I was in the same organization, I went mm -hmm. from case manager, yep. program director, exec director, those are totally different skill sets yes. that, you know, you need, like, you know, the grit, all that got you there, but like also understanding like, okay, like how do I now function in this new same organization, but new role. Right. Yeah. And so like that professional development piece is so critical. Like, let's, let, let's speak to this real quick, because I think all three of us here are, are in positions of leadership at our, at our respective, uh, our respective places, right? So I want to mm -hmm. speak to, I want you, especially you two, I want you two to speak to just the things that you've learned at every level that <clears throat> I, I want to say most people who are looking to get to positions of management, for example, right, um, mm -hmm. may not understand is, is a skill set that's needed. And so mm -hmm. where, where you were as a caseworker, totally mm -hmm. different skill set than you needed when you were mm -hmm. going up and you're starting to enter into management. Because mm -hmm. now, yes, you still need your caseworker skills, but yes. now you have people to manage. You have relationships above you, even yes. higher to manage even more closely. So, uh, yeah. Stephanie, you speak to that first and then Eric. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, I think, like, the biggest thing, too, is just people need to be, like, social-emotional intelligence. Mm. And I know, like, that's a big, like, kind of buzzword, but it is so critical, <laughs> like, to understand yourself, understand your surroundings, understand mm -hmm. the people that... That you're working with mm -hmm. but the biggest thing like chat or difference i saw like becoming executive director and being now vice president is you have to have a vision mm -hmm. right for like where you're going i mean the word god talks about like people perish for a lack of it like you have to know where you're going right, right? right <laughs> you need right. to have like the knowledge and the skills so i think that was the biggest piece um and then culture like i focus really 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 like I zeroed in on culture um, and relationships. Like that was the main thing I kind of focused on like when I first started. Um, and mainly because the work does require like culture and relationships. Mm -hmm. So being really intentional about like sitting down, knowing the team, like what, you know, what's your love language, right? Like what makes you tick? What makes you happy? Like yeah. what are your skill sets? Where can I see you going? Like where are your kind of weaknesses? Right. Where are your strengths? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I think like understanding your team and like building a culture where we can be open and direct even if I am the director like push back like we're all human we all have thoughts right um and also understanding like your leadership style right like I know I'm very much a servant leader so how does that play well in this setting and how does that not play well right. in this setting so I right. think understanding like your leadership having a vision and then like culture is huge particularly when you're working with the younger population too like where the workplace is just different and so like yeah, at staff meeting, we're going to stop and we're just going to talk about highs and lows, right? Like, we're just going to talk about you, right? right? Or we're going to have round bag lunch, you know, once a week where we all sit and we get to know each other, right? Because we spend a lot of time with each other. So really wanting to create a culture where people want to come to work and a culture where, like, if you feel like, you know, I really feel like I want to go into a different career, then you don't have to hide to do a phone interview. Like, just tell me, like, I will work with you, you know, right. <laughs> to move you forward. Because it's like just creating a culture where we care about you, the person. Um, but I think the biggest piece is like, you got to have a vision for where you're going and where you're taking your your team. Like, that's so critical. And, and is, is being able to, this is a question for the both of you, and I'll go to Eric first, um, is being able to craft a vision is that, mm -hmm a skill in the, in the sense is it's something that can be developed 
That's a good question. All of this can be developed because we can all learn whatever that is that's that's critical to what we do. Right. She said something about emotional intelligence that just got me. Right now, and I'm doing I'm doing some executive coaching as we speak. The parts that are troublesome for you know a couple of clients that I have are never the performance parts of their jobs. Oh, no, that's where we're comfortable. It's never the performance mm -hmm. job. Um, and I don't want to give uh, wrong attribution for this, but if you Google it, there's a, a concept out. I can see the guy's name, psychologist. Uh, the writer and the elephant in emotional intelligence. Oh, the yes. Writer, the yeah. writer is the intellect. It's the logic chip. But yes. the elephant, this big giant thing, is the emotions. Yes. So if I work for you, you can give me logic. Well, Eric, if you do a good job, you get bonuses and raises and be able to take care of your family, yada, yada. That's mm -hmm. the intelligent part. Right. The mm -hmm. elephant part is huge. Yes. If you piss me off and I hate you, I ignore the writer. Yeah. Yes. And when the elephant goes on stampede, he kills everybody. So what people miss mm -hmm. is that we are creatures of emotion. I yes. come to work. Uh, some of the, one person that I'm, I'm coaching now, they had a bunch of snafus with their senior team. They are brilliant. However, they didn't understand when you walk into a room, and I think a lot of us miss, and, and I'm, 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 I got a couple of questions for you, Stephanie, mm -hmm. as a black woman walking into one of those power mm -hmm. rooms. Yeah, kind of back to that. Yes, yeah. But when you walk into a room, your antenna needs to be out before you talk. Mm -hmm. Okay, what's going on in this room? Who is that? And if you have been blessed to build a relationship with any of those people before you walk in, now you've got something to draw on. But when you walk in a room cold, you should be like a submarine not knowing who's in the ocean in front of you. Let me get my radar out. Yes. Let's feel the room. Let me be yes. observant. It is a dance. And I see you nodding because I know, first of all, you got VP behind your name. So in order to be <laughs> I know you know the dance. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's what we're missing. And that's what folks that you know have deep hands, there's nobody here to teach us because I don't know enough VPs who have done the dance mm -hmm. and can now lead me through the, the steps. Right. Yes. Yeah. That's critical. Yeah. yeah, that's so real. And I love, that's funny. Like it's in, I went to a conference and it's like, my notes are right here about the elephant and the writer, <laughs> like <laughs> learn about that adaptive change. Yeah. No, like you're yeah. exactly right. Uh, John, Jonathan Haidt, H-A-I-D-T. Yes, yes, yes. That's his name. That yeah. was it. Yeah. I gave the credit to Simon Sinek, but Simon Sinek had used it in one of his uh, presentations. Yes. But all okay. of us need to do that. And smart people, if you miss emotional intelligence, you don't get any reward for being smart. Yeah. Right. No, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> you don't. Especially minorities. Oh. <laughs> oh. No. I, I'll share this and then um, I, I will move to the next part where we kind of dig a little more into your career journey. We've kind of touched on it here and there, but I, I think I want to dig in just, just a tad more. But uh, <clears throat> something that I started researching a few months ago, and, and it's been around for centuries, but um, but you've heard of the term stoicism, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. So uh, modern modern stoicism kind of yeah. focuses on well, stoicism in general but modern stoicism really focuses on trying to live a life where uh you have as few 
negative emotions mm -hmm. control you as possible. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you think about that, that there are many of us that when we, when we feel annoyed, when we feel anger, when we feel frustrated, it can become so easy to let those emotions derail us, even mm -hmm. if for an hour, right. if it throws us off our game, we've now mm -hmm. lost an hour of something mm -hmm. that we could have been spending more positive energy on, right? And okay. so something that I've been working on just in my own personal workspace, personal life and everything is once I feel that that negative emotion come up, it's almost like an immediate thing. Do I need to address you right now? Mm -hmm. Do I need to give you power right now? If not, you can go ahead and take, take a back seat and walk out the door. And I'm gonna focus on a different positive emotion, right? And it is not the easiest thing in the world. But what that allows is it teaches you patience, right? It teaches you patience to work with 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 people who uh, <laughs> people who may drive you to do things that you probably don't want to do. You might go to jail for at some point. But but it also teaches you patience in your personal relationships and even with yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's like it's, it's just that whole concept uh, that, that I find interesting because you're talking about emotional intelligence. And I think that's a piece yes. of it, like learning yes. that patience. Yes. Yeah. I got to do, um, go do one faith thing. What helps me in that moment? And this is my own personal journey. So people of faith out there, you'll get it. Yep. I wake up in the morning. I ask for wisdom, guidance and direction yep. because I am stupid. I know that I'm not trying to front. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a ball of messed up stuff. However, when I'm connected, the stuff that he allows to flow through me, flow through me is absolutely awesome. He gets all credit for that, but I know that there's nothing good inside of me. So if I start that way in the morning and somebody walks in the room and they say something stupid, we're human. I go to the face switch. I say, okay, God, please keep me out the penitentiary today. That's my next thought. Right. Give me some calmness over my emotions before I slap this fool into next week. Right. <laughs> I don't need to go to jail. I'm, 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 this is quiet. Now this person doesn't see it, no. so it may look, it may look stoic. They don't know an angel just saved their life. Right. <laughs> but, but, but you know my thing too, and, and and I say this frequently, just in my personal conversations and on here. Yeah. There are so many, uh, there are so many belief systems that yeah. are built on very, very, very common tenets. Yeah. and principles mm -hmm. yeah. with few differences. But we focus so much on the differences that it, it separates yes. us versus brings right. us together. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, let, let's dig into this career journey a little bit. Um, I think we touched on it. You, you said you started off kind of doing social work, and then yes. you kind of started to progress up the chain. So yeah. if you could just briefly walk us through, like, the various positions you held before you got to where you are now. Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, so started out social work for two years, foster care in North Carolina. Um, while I was, did that um, while I was in grad school for two years. Um, and then I knew I wanted to come back to the DC area just because my family was here. And I actually like had such a difficult time finding work when I came back. I was like, oh, I got my grad degree. I'm going to find work. And I remember like a month or two months after I've been home, like still interviewing, finally found a job, got a job um, in Texas. Um, and I was like really excited because it was a, it was a program director role. Um, and like I was, you know, had the signature, everything was going to move. And two weeks later, they called like, you know, unfortunately we had some budget 
cuts issues, so we're not going to get the job. And I was like, what? Like, I was devastated. <laughs> and I was like, God, like, what is happening? Like, this is supposed to be my job. And so it took probably another, like, six months. Um, and I did not want to do social work. Like, that was the one thing I was not trying to do. I was like, Lord, I don't want to do this again. But I really just felt like God was calling me to that again. So worked as a social worker for about three years in Southeast D.C., um, and I loved it. It was great. I think, again, like I was saying before, the challenge was um, it was a lot of bureaucracy. It was a lot of red tape. And, you know, we were kids were aging out of the system, going, getting homeless. And I was just like, this is just not a way. This is not what I'm supposed like. There has to be more to this. And I remember my, my um, director saying to me, well, you know, your raise definitely depends on like how many kids you keep in this house. And I was just like, well, I was like, child is trying to commit suicide. Like, I don't think they should be here. So it was a lot of like <laughs> tension, a lot of challenge. Like, but from there, I also really learned of like how you work with a management who has separate like intentions and vision. And so it was good. And that I was able to really learn how to have difficult conversations, but being respectful, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so in hindsight, it was good that I went through that. And, you know, I was very young, but I was also managing um, people who were older than me. So learning how to communicate. Um, so while it was a difficult job, I learned a lot of skills. Mm -hmm. And, you know, after three years, I was like, I think it's time to transition. And I really wanted to just really focus so more on counseling. So I was like, I'm gonna go back to school. Um, but it was not a good decision in that it wasn't necessarily a prayerful decision. It was more of like, I'm burnt out. I want to do something different. This sounds good. It's still in the same lane. Um, and so, but you know, God being so good, it still worked out because through my nonprofit that I had started with two of my um, sorority sisters, mm -hmm. I had been volunteering. Um, we had started an organization called Instilling Values in You, where we work with young girls and men around like character development and um, had lots of workshops. Brian was, I remember you were on our panel. I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, yeah, it was great. Um, and I wanted to stay in that lane of working with young people. Mm. And again, through volunteer work fell upon Urban Alliance. And that's what I was talking about before. Like it was a great job, but it was definitely like a pay cut, like everything cut. But again, I really just felt like this was good. So the first day I started there is my first day of grad school. <laughs> um, and for some reason I decided I was gonna go to grad school full time and work full time. Probably not the smartest thing. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I did it and I was like, I'll be at Urban Lines for two years. So I'm going to be a counselor and keep it moving. Um, but maybe a year or two years, well, yeah, two years into the program. I loved it. It was great. But um, I really also loved Urban Alliance and the work that we were doing. Mm -hmm. And so got promoted to program director. Um, but one thing I always did is I always worked the next job. So even though I wasn't necessarily trying to, like, I knew I was going to just be gone for two years. Like I worked as if I was the program director That's when good. I was case manager. Um, and I always tell like young people, like work the job, like you own it um, and, you know, put your name on it. And so, yeah, after uh, four years being at Urban Alliance, they were like, hey, you know, we have an opening for a Zeka director. And I was like, mm, you know, again, don't think I want to do that. I'm fine, you know, I'm humble. I don't want to be, you know, face of the organization, all of that. Um, but realize it was just false humility. Like I said, it was just fear. Um, and so, you know, through my mom forcing me and calling my whole family and forcing me to do it as well, um, <laughs> I did it and it was good. It was a great experience, um, but it was it was challenging. It was not easy. Like I walked into a $300,000 deficit <laughs> yeah. for a million dollar organization, but, yeah. um, you know, 
by God's grace, I was able to like really be successful. We went from serving, you know, 40 kids in two schools. And by the time I left, we had served about um, over a thousand kids in 20 schools. We had went citywide. Um, we had started four new programs for young people. Um, and our young people were graduating high school at higher rates than the city. And it was amazing. Um, and I got an offer to, um, serve as, um, it was a new role they were positioning for me at the organization at our national office in DC. And I felt like, oh, this will be, this is good. It sounds good. But at the same time, in the back of my mind, I was kind of burnt out. But then I was like, well, no, like, you know, being, you know, vice president of this organization is great. I've been here nine years. I know the people I'm comfortable right. and, you know, it's going to be a pay increase. But then I realized that I was just comfortable. Like I was so scared to now like step out into something new. Cause like I had started at the organization at 27 and now here I am, you know, at 36 and you just get comfortable. Like, and it wasn't that it was a bad thing to like go into this position cause I knew the board, I knew the people, I knew the players, but I also knew I needed to challenge myself. Um, cause after being there for nine years, um, people also get familiar with you. Um, and I just knew I needed to stretch myself and I was super scared. And so even though I knew I, knew I needed to leave by year eight, I stayed. Um, and thankfully, um, just through, again, like people you have in your life who like challenge you and stretch you to do mm -hmm. more. Yeah. Uh, and mentorship. I always tell people get a mentor. Um, but I had been in conversation with my mentor who had originally hired me at Urban Alliance when I was 27. And she was helping me just think through what would be my next steps. Awesome. Um, and it was really difficult also because like here I am like the organization is like in a really good place and I felt like if I left then like it would be like it wouldn't be the same but realizing that like there's seasons and times for everything and like you were in that place for that season and that time and now it was time to move you know move on and that also I felt like my identity was getting tapped up in being Stephanie Lee's executive director right and not realizing that well, maybe God has more for you to do. And just always going back to like, it's not about you, it's about the impact. So long story short, um, just in conversation with my executive director um, who, or my, the previous executive director who had served as my mentor, um, she had been working with another organization who was starting to do some new work in Baltimore City. And um, I just loved the approach because it was a very much a holistic approach to you know, working with young people on breaking intergenerational poverty, right? So how do you address poverty through education, through housing, mm. um, through community health and wellness? And so when I saw the model, I was just like, wow, this is amazing. Mm. Um, she's like, look, Stephanie, I'm going to start this organization. I need a number two, and I'd love for you to like join me um, on this journey. And so it was great. I started with her back in November. Um, but I will say at first I told her no, <laughs> and mainly because, um, I don't really know why I said no. I just kind of felt like, well, I don't want to work for a nonprofit. Like I want to go do corporate social responsibility. It's the same thing. I'm tired of like <laughs> raising money. Right. Um, you know, small organizations can be really, really difficult. And at the simultaneously I had, um, 
potential offer in New York and another offer with um, another larger company. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to get those jobs. Um, I ended up not getting them, um, which was fine. Um, and one wanted me to move to New York and it was just, it just didn't fit. And so I went back to my mentor and I was just like, you know what? I really feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. Like, I really feel like, cause I said my next job, I'm not going to have to interview for I'm going to be able to easily slip in. I'll be able to use, you know, leverage the networks I've worked for. And when I kind of looked at everything I had prayed about, like it hit all of those things. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so now just serving as a vice president of Dream Big, um, where for us, we're really focusing on, yeah, how do you, how do you provide opportunity for young people and put them on a, yeah, a path of economic success um, and provide choice through education and, and housing um, as well as um, community wellness. Nice. I love this. Let's uh now 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 let's dig into a little bit of this nitty gritty man. Um being being a woman, a black woman, (laughs) in 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 vet who's held various corporate roles, right? I don't even know where to start, but let's 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 even start about talk about um just the challenges of getting to the next position. Like what what are some obstacles uh that you face? Because like I I know that just as people of color in general, like we walk into the room and there's a whole different kind of math that we have to do for <laughs> just about any other race, right? Yeah. So, yeah. but yeah. being a black woman, I know my wife talks about this a lot. She educates me as well, just on just the nuances that I won't ever be able to experience just mm-hmm. because I'm a guy, you know what right. I mean? But, but, right. but yeah, talk about your perspective and some of your experiences there. Yeah. I think like for me, like the challenge is like, you don't, I struggle like early on with like, I didn't want to feed into like being the angry black woman Mm. into emotional, um, not being, or like asserting yourself too much. Like I struggled very early on with like people's perception of me as a black woman Mm -hmm. Um, and that, and what all that comes with. And so very like, you know, particularly when I came in as like a director, like, it was heightened to the point where like I was, you know, black tax, I was doing way more <laughs> than yeah. I probably should like should have. Right. But like I was always trying to like prove it made me so self-conscious because I was trying to like prove that yes, I'm black, I'm young, but like I'm also smart and like I'm not just a black face. Like, you know, so it's like always trying to like yeah. I was always fighting the stereotypes and the perceptions, and it was really difficult. Um, and you know, I'll be like, honest, I'll never forget. I, um, had a meeting and I was supposed to meet with the general manager and then she had some last minute, you know, challenges. So met with her, some of her C-suite folks. And so I remember getting there and my colleague, um, you know, a white woman was joining me and she was a little late. So I'm sitting there with the C-suite folks and, you know, we're just talking, making small talk. I was like, oh, and my colleagues, you know, she's coming, she's on her way. So she gets there um, and, she, you know, she sits down. I was like, oh, it's my colleague. Um, and she, they were like, oh, okay, nice to meet you. Making some small talks. So and then we were like, you know, let's start the meeting. So immediately they all turned their body language <laughs> towards my white colleague. And I'm like, and I've experienced my program, you know, all of that before, but this was just a very blatant, like, oh, like you possibly can't be the one like in, you know, in, in charge, like it must be her. And so I had to quickly redirect of like, no, I'm running, you know, this, like I'm this, like I'm running the meeting, right? So you deal with things like that, which it, it weighs heavy on your mind and it yeah. makes you, 
very self-conscious and very worried, but it came to a point where I was just like, I had to realize like, you know what, Stephanie, you are going to drive yourself crazy. Um, by always trying to get ahead of um, people's perceptions of you as a black woman. And I had to go back to the whole thing of like, God called you to this work. Like, you know that, right? (laughs) And so no matter like what they perceive you to be or not to be or not to have, like it's going to succeed, like everything's gonna work out. And so I had to really just start to train my mind of like, you know, regardless of like their perception of how they think of me, like mm-hmm. I'm going to focus on results. Right. I'm going to focus on doing, you know, being a value add to this organization. Right. And I'm also going to focus on, I had to just shift my focus from like what people were perceiving me as to like, what are the young black people perceiving me as, mm-hmm. right? And like, it is so important for them to see a person of color in this role because they've never seen that before. Because I remember a young man coming to my office and he was like, oh, like, this is your office? Like, you're the director? Like, and it was such a, like, you know, foreign concept and realizing, like, you know what, it's important that they see what they can be. Um, Starting to really change of, like, making it, like, more of an asset. Because my mom's always telling me, like, you're African. We're resourceful people. You can do anything you want to do, right? And so really coming from looking at being a Black female as an asset. Like, I bring so much to the picture because I am a Black female, rather than looking at it as a deficit. Um, And when I changed that perception, it helped me to be more confident when I walked into a room rather than shrinking back because of like, what are they going to think, you know, what are they going to think of me? Like, you have that imposter syndrome of like, am I supposed to be here? They're going to find out, you know, I'm not smart enough. I'm not supposed to be here. Um, And so starting to, so for me, like, I just had to take that Instead of getting angry about like people's microaggressions, right. like I had to take right. that power back, right? right. And start using it um, in a way that was starting to like uplift the young people that I'm trying to serve who are mostly people of color and also taking pride in like, you know, in the nonprofit world, like you don't see a lot of people, you know, black females, you know, in like running nonprofit organizations, right. typically, you know, white women. And so also look at that as like, you know what, Stephanie, like, let's use like, how are we going to use this platform, you know, for better? Um, and so, yeah, I think that it's, it's challenging because people also are like, oh, they, they automatically assume like, you must have like, you must be from this part of the town. Yeah. And you may, like, you know, everyone likes a good you know, story. And I'm like, no, actually I'm not. Like I went to the school. I did. <laughs> um, so it, it's hard to, it's hard. It's difficult to deal with people's like perceptions of you as a black woman. But like yeah. I had, you know, quick I, I noticed, um, I'm, I'm, I, I try to be a very observant person as much as I can. Um, I noticed I think I've told the story before. I know I've told you, E, but there there was a, a mentee of mine at work. I, I try and I try and get in the ear of all the young black professionals that I come across in my in my job. <laughs> it's got I'm, I'm kind of like the little the OG over there, and so it's just like, hey, you know, like the moment I'm introduced to them, it's just like, hey, come here, let me let me talk to you. I just kind of gauge like cool how's it going what are your career aspirations all right then after like by the third conversation i'm okay okay take the temperature look around mm-hmm. what do you see mm-hmm. it's going to be a challenge but mm-hmm. don't let it discourage you right yes. so That's good I, had, I, had, I had a mentee once um 
very very intelligent young, young lady she was i mean she was just like many of us right you, you come out of college you have a perception of what you need to do to be successful and to get up the ladder um and many of us are not taught what yes. it takes to do I myself didn't learn it until this guy, Eric, became my mentor and he starts giving me all the, the, the pies tips. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. now it makes sense. Right. And so I'm passing this knowledge along. And one day uh, I had gotten comfortable enough where I was like, OK, cool. Look, I'm going to tell you this. And this is not coming from a place of judgment. This is mm-hmm. not coming from a place of like a creepy guy like trying <laughs> to tell you what to do. I was like, we got to work on the wardrobe. And she was like, well, what's, what's wrong with the, I was like, look, man, and, and practically what it was, was there was really nothing wrong with it. It's yeah. just parts of us. We have to play the game enough, enough <laughs> to get the respect that we need. And I, and one day I just, we just walked around the floor. I said, let's walk around the floor. I said, I want you to pick out all the, I want you to pick out all the women that are in leadership positions. Mm-hmm. Right. And once we walked around the floor. She came back and I was like, how many people of color did we see in leadership positions? Out of about eight women, it was two. I said, okay, out of those two, you tell me how they presented themselves, mm-hmm. right? And essentially what it boiled down, boils down to is uh, a lot of the white women in the organization, excuse me, <clears throat> they come in, regular ponytail, minimal makeup, <laughs> You know, a plain blouse and and some some dress pants or whatever. Sometimes in jeans. Utilitarian is the print. Utilitarian is the phrase. Exactly. <laughs> while while my sister that I was mentoring, she's dressed to the nines. You know, wow. like <laughs> like she's stepping out high fashion. And I was really? like, tone it down. Crazy enough. Crazy enough. Six months later, after she she took that advice. Six months later. She started getting more opportunities mm-hmm. within the organization. But my point to that was I'm listening to what you're saying. And there's just a different set of rules yeah. for, 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 for black people, but black women specifically. You guys mm-hmm. are judged way harsher. Um, yep. I, talk, I talk about this a lot with, with friends, but it's the, uh, the privilege hierarchy, right? Mm-hmm. White, they're at the top of the privilege chain. Right. Mm-hmm. But then in that white men have more privilege than white women. White mm-hmm. women have more privilege than black people mm-hmm. in the black privilege hierarchy. Black men have more privilege than black women. Yep. You feel mm-hmm. what I'm saying? But what, what I try, what I'm trying to work on and what I, I'm, I'm encouraging others to do is how can we challenge those those privileges? So mm-hmm. if a white woman has more privilege than me as a black man, how can I challenge her privilege to be aware Right. Yeah. And to use her privilege for yes. for good and not necessarily for evil. Yes. And that goes for black men too. Right. Mm-hmm. How can we as black men use the privilege that we have to make sure that we're uplifting our, our black women within the organizations? Um, yeah, there's, such, there's, such. That's good. How you manage your resentment. Mm-hmm. And I heard you mention your faith, God's mm-hmm. leading purpose, God purpose. Definitely I just hear it through everything that you're talking about. I'm going this direction, God leading purpose, boom. None of us have time to resent mm. racism and the roadblocks in front of us. First of all, if you do that, you're destroyed. Come on. A lot of people complaining about that so much that they are incapacitated. Mm. Okay, yeah. well, you, lost. you lost, that's the fact. Yeah. I'm really just tall, 
My afro's not coming back. It is what it is. <laughs> now, what am I going to do? And my thing, and I, and I get, and, and, and Brian knows we talk about it. I'll do a seminar where people say, man, you're not, you're callous. No, it's reality. Yeah. I'm, if God has allowed me to still breathe, what am I going to do today? And it doesn't matter who doesn't like you. Now, to your point, I'm watching you. It doesn't matter what those people thought about you. You're still sitting in the same chair mm -hmm. that God put you in, mm -hmm. fulfilling your purpose. Mm -hmm. So to stop and be resentful of that, and I don't say it's not wrong. Somebody says, you know, is racism wrong? Of course it's wrong. Right. But uh, I've worked in different countries, and I've seen people that, to me, look like the same race, mm -hmm. and they were in different tribes, different regions, yeah. different whatever, and I saw the same negative behavior. Yep. I couldn't just blame it on black and white. I'm like, dude, I'm working in, in one country in the motherland and mm -hmm. these guys couldn't get along. So I'm in this meeting yep. and the lawyer uh, lady walks in. She's, you know, African sister. And she laughs. She said, you're trying to get them to work together. And I said, yes. I said, if you do that, you don't have the Americans coming over getting all in your business. She said, they will never do that. I said, why? They're from different tribes. Different tribes. So I did this one thing. She looked at me and just shook her. I said, they all look alike to me. She just, she just walked out of the room. Real thing. That's exactly it. Yeah. So I've seen the Serbs and the Bosnians. I've seen mm -hmm. uh, the Irish and the, the British mm -hmm. kill each other or whatever. And it is basically man's inhumanity to man. Now, in this country, it's black and white Correct. because you don't have to be intelligent to be prejudiced against color. Just blind. I still got to accomplish, and God still wants us to be accomplished, successful, wealthy. He wants that good for us. And if we spend time being resentful, which I'm hearing you say, I ain't got time for that. Yeah, basically. <laughs> That's, I mean, you summed it up. And then I also had to think, like, I'm working with very vulnerable young people who are dealing with, like, real real life situations. I don't have time to be thinking about who doesn't like me because I'm Black. Like, <laughs> literally have, like, kids who are dying, like, you know, like, struggling. Like, yeah. you got to go over yourself. It's not about you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's so true. All right. All right. We got a few minutes left. Let's um let's talk about this this the 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 aspect of hiring once you get into leadership roles and just the various stories that come along with that particular process, right? And what I want you to do as as you're speaking on the experience is share a couple of tips for the listeners, right? Um, especially in this time of quarantine where everything's remote. And to be honest, it, just the way things are looking, it's, it's remote is going to be the, the norm for a, a while until they can yeah. figure out vaccines and such. But yeah. I want you to kind of talk about some of your hiring experiences and, and yeah. just some different tips that you can share with people um, as they're going through the process. Definitely. So I always like my model when I'm hiring, I do like hire slow, fire fast, right? That is like my, <laughs> my model. And I say hire slow because like just being intentional, right? About like, what are the gaps and what are you trying to, to fill, right? Because like for instance, like I'm trying to fill for culture, for skill um, and teachable. I I really always look for people who are teachable. If I'm in an interview and it's all about I, 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 that is a huge red flag for me um, because the work we do is very team oriented. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you're the board chair or the post manager, like if it's time to clean up, we all clean it up, we all taking out trash, right? So you have to come with like a you know, spirit of humility. 
Um, but one thing like I just feel and I see is lacking, particularly with young like minorities, um, it's the little soft skills um, things, a little professionalism. So it's the, you know, from jump, if you're sending your cover letter and resume, put it in a PDF. Don't don't put it in Word. Yeah. Um, if you are applying yeah. for a case manager position, don't put um, Stephanie Amponza, um, uh human relations or you know or HR job. Like it's just the small little things. Mm -hmm. Put it in. I don't know what what that is, but put that put it in a PDF. That drives me crazy. Um, and professional dress. Like that is a lost art. Um, particularly as we've, I've, we've been going through hiring and, um, I had young, one young lady and very, very smart, went to American university, um, George, you know, George was like really great. Um, but as soon as I picked up Zoom, I was like, is she wearing sweats? And I'm like, you I was like, she is definitely wearing sweats. And it just threw me off the whole interview. <laughs> um, and I get that we are, you know. Yeah, we're quarantined. I totally get that. But I think you'd get professionally dressed for this. And I even noticed that when I was interviewing before, and I don't know if it's because of the industry we're in, mm -hmm. but I have a real clear, like, if you need our program, you can't work our program. We are mm -hmm. teaching young people professional skills. <laughs> like, you can't work here if you need the program. So I need you to be professional. And again, right. we're working with young people. Um, and then the simple art of just being prepared, like you should ask, there's an easy way when you're interviewing to show the interviewer that you've done your research. Mm -hmm. And so coming prepared with questions um, at the end. And so not asking, like I had someone ask, um, you know, do you do tuition reimbursement? I'm like, I'm sorry, what? I'm like, <laughs> we're on a, you know, a, for the very first interview, you have not asked anything about myself as an interview, anything about the job. And it's like, you're more concerned about what you can get out of the job yeah. rather than the value you can add in the job. And so I think that's a huge, huge, like missed opportunity. Um, when you have an opportunity to ask questions to an interviewer and you focus it more on like what you can get out of it um so the professional dress and thank you note like that is a lost art like i don't know what happened to writing a thank you so even if it's an email right. and reiterating in that email your skill set it's not just to say oh thank you for the job but it's reiterating why you want that job um and if there was anything during the interview that you felt like you didn't address you address it in that you know in that thank you um so and it shows follow through and it shows that you want the job it's just not just we're not just another you know opportunity that you're trying to um trying to get um but i would definitely say the the professionalism and this may not be popular i'm gonna say but like also not riding on the fact that you're black that you're just black like that's great yeah. i like that you're black in it i think that's amazing but you also need to have skills right, right for this job um, and so it's like, cause you don't want to get, cause you don't want to get further in your career and realize that you just got a job because yeah, because you were, because you were black. Um, and then you get five, 10 years in career and you realize that you have no, you haven't learned anything. You don't have any skill set. Like you don't want to be that very, you're, you're charismatic, you're smart, you get along with people, you're not threatening, threatening, but like also like what value are you adding to this organization? And one thing I see a lot, um, like I used to do interview, uh, informational interviews with a lot of like, you know, friends who were in the net, in my network, but 
I never saw like, I guess what I'm saying is like, do, do inf- like network. Like it's so important to build your network and have relationships. And I don't want to be preachy, but particularly like I've had friends who are like, oh, can you meet with this young person? And I meet with this young person and you have no questions for me. You're just like, you're not prepared. Like you are wasting people's time. Like, <laughs> like be prepared. I just feel like young professionals I don't know where you learn I don't know where there is a place this is why I love what you guys do because I don't know where you learn those small like soft skills but I find that also like people who are not of color often white people like they are often way more prepared um for these interviews um like you can tell they practice they've done a thank you or maybe they know someone who knows someone so that person sends me an interview uh, or sends me like oh i know you interviewed so and so just letting you know yeah. but i just see just a lack of preparedness and just those small soft skills that just aren't there yeah um a couple of things that you, and you're so spot on about the relationships you mentioned you have a mentor and we definitely talk about mentoring yep. Brian and i were talking about mentoring I got a mentor that changed my life. I started getting promoted so fast after I got this mentor. And it was exactly what we were saying. Back in the days, we had beards. He said, you're scaring people. And he was telling me to take off, you know, hey, I'm in quarantine now. Uh, but he gave us the dance. And, and for people of color, we don't know. And I'm talking to you, you're a vice president. I can say, I cannot name off 20 uh, vice presidents of color right now. And I've been around for a long time. That's how rare it is to have somebody to speak to what's needed. Um, As a a woman who is an executive and a person of color, you mentoring somebody way more powerful. For instance, the person that Brian talks to about dress, you can say some things as a female, he can't say. Exactly. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, I have to do it. You can say say them in a way they ain't no. Lawsuit is right. just straight down. It is, and we've got to do that, which is why you know we do what we do. But we've got to be the place where somebody goes, "Man, nobody ever told me about that." Mm-hmm. Nobody. The the dress is incredible. Try this. I tell people do this. Go on an airplane. It'll be a minute because right now I'm gonna look like uh, I got yeah, a. Yeah. <laughs> I look like I'm taking radioactive. Make on an airplane, but go on an airplane. And dress professionally, mm-hmm. and then go on an airplane and sweat to tell me how you get treated. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. It's not even. It's not even the same. Yeah. So the value that you're bringing, and I'm, I'm just, I'm so applaud what you're doing, is you're teaching them, but you're also showing them by example what can be done, and that's a that's a divine hand from my perspective. Right. I think. And I, I think this will be the last point and then we'll get into our final thoughts. Um, but, you know, you were talking about just where do they learn their professionalism? And I think for for us, right, mm-hmm. we, we need to create more spaces for that to happen. You know, I mean, even in my own experience with my own teenager, right, where, yep. you know, he's going out to interviews and we're like, maybe you shouldn't... <laughs> <laughs> right and it's uh you know and, and 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 at some ages you know there there's a there's a, a innocent ignorance to yes. the importance of it right because yes. they just don't know mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. They, they don't know the importance and value of it just yet and right. 
But I think we all do, those of us who are in these professional spaces, like yourself, like us with the podcast and things like that, we probably need to band together more often to create more things, to create more tools, to be able to to get to the masses easier, right? To get mm-hmm. to our people easier to learn these things. Mm-hmm. Um, you reference how some of our our, uh, our our white counterparts seem to be fully prepared. Like somebody gave them the answers to the test before they walked in the door. <laughs> yeah. They did, right? Right, and that's what I'm saying. They did, and, and I think that's the difference. But it goes back to something you said way early in the interview, uh, Stephanie, where you mentioned a lot of a lot of people, not just the kids you're working with, but even myself growing up. Right, I grew up in rural Mississippi. <clears throat> there were not many. <clears throat> excuse me. There are not many um, professional images for me to reference mm-hmm. back then. So my, my, my proximity to those positive professional images was very few and far in between. Now, luckily, like just like yourself, my mother ended up working in those spaces. So I learned a lot there. But I have friends that I grew up with that weren't they weren't that fortunate. You know what I mean? And so. I think that that we're we're getting there, but I think yeah. there's probably a lot more that we can do to kind of to be able to flood some of these communities, some of our in our own households and things like that, to flood more positive professional images, so that you know, so that there's a um, so that they, they have that reference to to lean on, like uh, white counterparts. We're years behind, and that's just what, what it boils down to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly right. It's the lack of exposure. Yeah. Like you just don't know what you don't know. You don't know, you know? what you don't know. Yeah. No, but no, it's funny because after one of the interviews, I was talking to Danielle, and like it flushed. I feel like I probably am harder on young people of color when they do interview. I probably am, um, but it's also because like I'm fighting for you. Like I want, like I want you to like I'm trying to hire you. Like I want you to have it, but like I also need you to meet me halfway. Like I, you know, like I want you to do your research. I want you to be prepared, but at the same time, yeah, how do we create spaces where you are teaching this to, to young professionals? That's well, that, that that sounds like a follow up note to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So whether it's a uh, whether it's online courses, whether it's um, you know yeah. once once we're able to kind of meet mm-hmm. and socialize person to person again, whether it's you know traveling back and forth to various places, um, I know one of the things that Eric and I have always had as a mission for this podcast is something a goal that we want to do is to get into some of these colleges and talk to these juniors and seniors who are about to get into the workforce ahead of time and try to you know share some of these concepts and and uh, principles. Um, and just kind of build the relationships there as well. So that's still something we want to do too. Yeah, All right. So quick recap. Here's what we learned from our interview with Stephanie. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Focus on adding value to your organizations um, and and not not so much on what you can get out of the organization. I think that's a great point. Um, You know, finding ways to have more exposure to positive images, finding ways to increase the proximity of positive mm-hmm. professional images for, you know, um, even yourself as an adult who's mm-hmm. working in these corporate spaces, but also as the, the young people are coming up out of college and getting into the work the workforce as well. Um, spirituality is a, is a huge part of Stephanie's success. And, you know, she's leaned on it a lot. And it's something we talk about on this show oftentimes too, no matter what your, your, your belief set is. We talk about it all because everybody needs something larger than themselves 
to kind of to kind of push or kind of keeps us out of that selfish zone as much as possible. Um, you know, don't focus so much on others' perception of you. That's something that I think comes over time, well, mm-hmm. with experience and kind of learning to to uh, to eat the constructive criticism <laughs> and and to listen to those that that uh, that kind of tell you. Um, and then also when, when it comes to just some of the things that she's experienced with just the interview process and young professionals, um, finding a way to increase the professionalism, improve the professionalism, um, whether it be your attire, whether it be learning how to follow up, whether it be the different types of files that you're sending for interviews and references and such like that. Um, Mm -hmm. We learned a lot. This is uh, this is pretty funny. And by the way, can, can we, um, can we steal you when we're able to do our stand-up conferences face-to-face? Oh, yes. I would love to do that. All good. All good. There. All right. So we like to end the show with like a, a final thought. It's just a little a little tidbit just to wrap up the show, whether it be a suggested reading or yeah. another podcast that you heard or may, maybe something somebody told you that just kind of stuck with you that you want to share for people to go throughout the week. But we'll start with our guest, Stephanie. Yes, thank you. Um, For me, I always say success is a journey. Um, Mm -hmm. So you never just arrive there. Um, And, you know, the word of God talks about like how your gifts will make room for you and bring you before Mm -hmm. great men. So focus on cultivating and growing your gifts. Um, I think that's a big one. Um, And yeah, like I think in terms of like, I talked about like suggested readings and stuff. I mean, prayer is like number one, reading your word, knowing your word, knowing the promises of God. Um, but another good book is Strength Finders. Um, mm-hmm. That's a really good one that focuses on, um, it mainly talks about focusing more on your strengths. What are your top talents? Assessing like where you fit in an organization. That's a really good one. Um, difficult Conversations mm-hmm. is another good one. Um, mm-hmm. And then your first 90 days. So folks who are first starting out a job, oh. like those <laughs> <laughs> that's a really the best uh, books out there absolutely <laughs> that's a really good one um but no like thank you guys like really appreciate this opportunity um and like just my mom always says good better best never let us rest till our good is our better and our better is our best Amen. so always just focus on like being being your your best and growing professionally um and didn't get to talk a lot about this but um i mean i know eric you said mentorship that's a big a big thing and like I have two different mentors who focus on two different you know things areas of, of my my life so I think mentorships and awesome. respecting those mentors um as well if they send you meet with someone be prepared yeah. have questions oh. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. to be prepared but uh thank you guys so much awesome trust me you, you you'll be back on more, more okay more good I, I love it <laughs> I'll see the conference I'm gonna just tell you, I'm oh, putting it I'm ready you gotta you gotta do that all right, what you got? Final thought. Um, we talked about the elephant. There's a book out called Emotional Intelligence Ooh. 2.0 yep. by Bradbury and Graves. It is a killer, killer book. Now, if you can't read, it's okay because it's on Audible. <laughs> but it's worth you putting it on. Now, I'm not dogging nobody because, you know, I heard my grandson use the word supplication in prayer Friday night. And he's six. I'm listening to him. I ain't never used that word, supplication. I, mean, I didn't ask for some stuff, but I <laughs> supplication. <laughs> uh, get emotional intelligence. Let it play in your head. 
because I don't care if you're black, white, or green. You need mm -hmm. to understand when you walk in a room, your people radar needs to be up. Right. Mm -hmm. So excellent book for 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 all of us. Awesome. Um, my final thought kind of goes to something that I kind of mentioned earlier in the show where I was talking about uh, stoicism and just managing your negative emotions. Um, I know I was just heard we were on a marriage conference yesterday um, and, you know, and I've been kind of hearing stories about how, you know, through this quarantine, man, relationships are starting to take a turn. <laughs> One way or the other. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, but 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 I think just the concepts of uh, of just stoicism and trying to manage, uh, trying to to not allow the negative emotions, trying to have as few interactions with your negative emotions as possible, um, mm -hmm. and not letting them control you is a concept that that everyone needs to to practice. And then, in terms of suggested reading, there's a, a, a audio book that I'm listening to right now. <laughs> Because <laughs> uh, I, I got to multitask, I got to listen and work at the same time. Often. <laughs> yeah. But um, audio book is called Atomic Habits, and let's see if I can get a picture of it. Out. Yeah, but it's Atomic Habits by James Clear, and what he talks about there is just that whole concept of making tiny adjustments to your habits <laughs> to reach the bigger thing, and it's a concept that we all know. But, mm -hmm. he, but he addresses how you uh, actually practice it. Because the hard thing for us is we get so discouraged when the chain, when the big change does not come as fast as we, as we want it. Oh, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. That's something I've struggled with for my, my whole life. So uh, I've been kind of pressing through that one, and it's, it's pretty good mm -hmm. so far. I'm about four or five chapters in. Yeah. Awesome. That looks good. All right. So... Peeps, uh, you guys know where to catch us. You know, we're, we're back on a regular schedule. We come out Thursdays. Um, toying with playing around with the days and probably putting out a little more content if, if, we, can, if we can do so. But right now, we're still on our, our weekly Thursday release. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at This Is BTC. As always, if you have questions, you want to follow up. Um, Got any follow-up questions from this interview, our interview with Stephanie, or you want to share some quarantine stories, you want to share some <laughs> some some uh, some stories about you cursing out your boss remotely, hey, <laughs> we're here for it. <laughs> you can hit us at the email podbtc at gmail.com. And as always, y'all stay safe. We'll catch y'all next week. Mm -hmm.